Amen. Amen. Thanks, Al. It's lovely to be with you. I did find my way over to Portadown, put it in Satnav. It was great. And um, got here well in time. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit this morning. I know you're doing your um, big drive next Sunday morning. That will be really exciting for you. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about seed and legacy. I know that you've been talking about the sower sowing the seed and you've developed the idea now that there's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed is the word of God. And there's something about legacy. There's something about passing on. There's something about reaching the baton on. There's something about every relay race that's won or lost at the switchover. And um, I am tired as a church leader. I am really tired reading stories of people who <coughs> dropped the baton. I'm tired of reading of bad handovers. I'm tired of reading of older leaders who have messed up. And um, those of us who are a little bit older will know that um, it doesn't get any easier as you get older. All the gray heads and bald heads, give me a little nod if you think that's true. It's true, isn't it? It doesn't get any easier as we get older. Um, it's no secret that Moses is one of my heroes. I've loved him from I was a boy. And I've loved the idea that of all the mistakes that Moses might have made, no he had a bit of a temper and all of that, one thing he did well, he handed over well. That was his key. He led, he led a, a bunch of grumbling people through a wilderness for 40 years. When you come to Joshua 1, you begin to realize how good a leader he was. You begin to realize that he'd led a generation. He told the stories well. And he, uh, as he went up the mountain for his final time, to place himself into the hands of God where he would die and God would actually bury his body. He handed over well. He, there was a group of people led by two um, special men, Joshua and Caleb, that would lead a generation into um, the, the next phase of the journey. And that's really, really important. I know we love Joshua, and I love Joshua too, but sadly, Joshua didn't do the job Moses did. When we come to Judges 2, you can look this verse up for yourself. It says that when Joshua died at 110 and all his elders died, there rose up a generation that didn't know Jesus, didn't know God, and didn't know the stories. That's what it actually says. Not only did they not know God, but they didn't know the stories. Joshua and his team forgot to tell the stories forgot to tell the stories of the greatness of God. And it's really important to note that God doesn't give away things that die. It's really important. God doesn't give away things that die. I was visiting my son, lived in London for quite some time. He's now traveling the world in a van, in a Citroen Relay van, him and his wife. But um, he, he lived in London for quite a while, worked as a landscape gardener while he was doing his degree in music. And I was over visiting him, and one of the times I'd go over and i come off the tube, and I was going up one of those escalators that seems like it's 
coming out of hell itself. It's like, you know, one of them escalators that just seem to go on and on and on forever. And, um, and uh, I was on this escalator and he was beside me. We were chatting and I noticed a, a, a little man in front of me. And I thought to myself, and not saying to my son or anything, but I thought he looked nervous. He looked like he wasn't comfortable on the escalator. And as we neared the top, he was right in front of me and I had to bag him back so my hands were free. And just as he, we neared the top of the escalator, I noticed him nervous about getting off and he lost his footing and he fell backwards. And I caught him. I caught him like, like, like a baby, literally. I caught him in my two arms. And my son, Philly, who's a bit of a gig, he just started to laugh. So I'm holding this wee man in my arms like you'd hold a baby. And on up we went, the three or four steps. And when we got to the top, I stepped off and set him onto his feet. And the little man looked at me like, what just happened there? Thanked me explicitly. And off we went. But I began to realize that people don't do endings well. People don't do endings well. We are not good at endings. Well, here's the good news. In the kingdom of God, there is no such thing. There is no such thing as endings. And God doesn't want anything to die with us. That's not what movements do. Movements don't die. And so what we've got to do, we've got to pass it on. We've got to, and that's why I'm so encouraging to hear Emma speak this morning, because it's not just the older generation that pass it on. It's the younger generation. It's the young adults. It's the young people, younger people like Lucy and people like that that now are passing on to the next generation because it's really important that we all do this. That's what keeps a movement moving. If we all keep doing it. And so this is what the Great Commission is all about. And this is why I love the Great Commission. It says, um, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him and some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, pass it on. Pass it on, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you right to the end of the age. Life is stressful, folks, isn't it? You've got all the emails, you've got WhatsApps now coming out of your ears, you've got the messages, you've got social media consumption, you've got the binging. Life in general is stressful. And Jesus isn't saying nothing else matters here, but before he left earth um, for heaven, he literally just gave us three things to do. That's all. Um, He told us to make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. In other words, he said, pass it on. Make sure, make sure, if you miss everything else, Make sure you can continually pass it on. What you're doing next week as you go into the building, it's part of passing it on. Your young adults will be there. Your younger people will be there. Your kids will be there. They're seeing something of a movement, something of a generation that are willing to pass on. And Jesus didn't come uh, into this world to give you a fantastic resume, just in case you wondered. He, he, what he did do, he, he came to give us a, a, a beautiful eulogy, really. 
something that we could hand down. I've stood around way too many bedsides where people are breathing their last, and I've never heard anybody ask for their resume. I have, uh, you see, if you're born again in here, you have something significant to, to pass on, and, and God has made a, a spiritual deposit in you, and he expects a return. And we live in a world where so many things come and go, and yet um, we've got to ask this question, what are we going to do with Jesus? What are we going to do? What are we leaving our kids? You know, these were the last words of Jesus going to heaven, These were this great commission. And you know, if you've got kids, you know the last words before you leave the house are really important. I've been a dad now for just over 43 years. And you, you know those last instructions, please don't burn the house down. You know, uh, uh, no parties um, as you, you go. Um, and Jesus is saying, I've died for the sin of the whole world, past, present, and future. I've risen from the dead, um, and I'm here, to, and I've conquered death once and for all. I've seized back the keys of death and hell that were stole in the Garden of Eden, and I have started a revolution. I've been looking at that word revolution lately. I actually really love it, and it comes from the Latin word to turn around. This is uh, sort of the change in power or organizational structures in a fundamental um, change of power or organizational structures that takes place in a relatively short period of time. And over the last hundred years, there's been more revolutions than there has been in, in, in all of time. And Jesus started this revolution. This is what he said. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. He came and he started a revolution. And I just want to encourage you to have faith. I want to encourage you this morning. The legacy is so important. Back in the, in the early days of Emmanuel, um, we started in the house. Many of you know this. Um, back in 1996, and we were in the house about a year and a half. We didn't intend to be. We looked at loads of buildings, just nothing really worked, and we ended up in the living room for about a, a year and a half. And we, we had about 40 people in a pretty normal-sized living room, so they were let, we just stacked them on top of each other. To the kid, they sat in your knee right up to they were about 15. And... Um, and uh, it was, it was, and then we, we got a little farm. We got a building out in a farm yard, and we were there for three years, and God did incredible things there. I have photographs. I was looking the other day at Al and I doing um, the kids' work. Al was in a box pretending he was driving a car in a box, <laughs> and um, it was good fun. And, uh, and then we moved to Lurgan, and we bought our very first premises, the Hope, um, where the Hope charity shop is in Union Street. And uh, that was the start of something where God began to really minister to me around finance. I'd always, I'd worked for myself, I'm lorry driver, worked at the coal, carried coal. And so I'd always been self-sufficient. And all of a sudden, um, I'd stepped into kingdom stuff where, Finances weren't as plentiful and, and stepped away from a salary um, and started to live by faith, which was really, really difficult um, when you got four kids. And, and so I, I began to really ask God that God would minister to me and, and show me his provision. One of the things that happened was um, 
couple of our, uh, Wilson, who's one of our elders, has been for a long, long time, was in Ukraine with Andrew Looney. And they saw this building um, in Ukraine, and the building was £20,000. We were sending loads of containers out, and uh, there was nowhere really for the stuff to go, and the stuff was just being uh, mishandled, really. And so they needed to buy somewhere. And it was an old airplane hangar in a disused uh, airfield. And so Wilson phoned me. I was actually in the middle of Loch Ness in a sand barge when he phoned me. And he said, Phil, there is a, we found this building. We, we had gathered up. We had gathered up £10,000. We had it in a little building fund. That was all the money we had. And we were sort of trying to do a deal with this building that we were moving into to buy it. And um, he says to me, could we get the £10,000 that's in the fund and, and um, put it as a down payment in this building? And then he said, when we get home, we'd raise the money and put it back into the account. That's fair deal, no problem. So I, we, we, give the, we sent the 10000 literally emptied our account. Not a penny left, emptied our account. Um, the following week, we were in a prayer meeting, and um, Tuesday night, we were praying. We were all on our knees, and we were round in a circle. We were praying, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Phil, you shouldn't have lent the money to those guys. And <clears throat> I felt really rebuked. I thought, God, what? And then I said, Lord, well, you know, they needed to buy the building. And, I said, and the Lord came back to me, and this thought, when a preacher says the Lord spoke to me, it's a thought, it's in her mind. All right, um, bumper stickers. I don't, I'm not fussed on them, but I saw a good one. The, the devil's worst nightmare is a Christian with a brain. And so, and that's how God speaks to us. He speaks through our minds. And so, and he, and he spoke to me and, he, and I felt him say, you should have given the money. Andrew was in the prayer meeting. And so I, I we were all on our knees in a circle. We were all praying. We were actually were all on our knees. We used to do that back then. Everybody prayed on their knees. And so we, I, I crawled over. There was an empty seat beside him. And I popped in beside him. And I said, Andrew, I shouldn't have lent you the money. He thought I was looking it back right away. <laughs> so um, this was all going per shape in the prayer meeting. And I said, no, no, no. I, we need to give you the money. We need to give you the money. No, no, no. And this little argument went on. And then I went back to pray. When I went back to pray, I thought, oh, I forgot to tell the elders that. But, um, <laughs> and, uh, and anyway, we give the money. We give the money. That was on Tuesday night. And we had a little argument about it afterwards with Andrew, but he accepted the money and off they went. And the elders all were more than um, generous with that. Friday night, Friday night, um, I was just home from work. I was sitting at the tea. There came a knock to the door. One of the kids came and said, there's somebody at the door. This guy doesn't come to our church or didn't come to our church. He does now, but he didn't come to our church at that time. And he just reached me an envelope, the exact same as what you have in your seat today, that oblong envelope. He reached me an envelope and he said to me, um, the Lord spoke to me today and told me to give you that. And I said, oh, thank you. Like, what do you say? And, um, and uh, he walked down the drive, and he, before he walked away, he just says, be careful with that, there's 10 in it. And I thought, 10 what? And he went down and got into the car, and I waited till he went, <laughs> ripped the thing open, and there was a check for 10,000 pounds in it. Tuesday, we gave it away on Tuesday, we got it back on Friday. 
the following Tuesday, I was sitting in the office um, and uh, I'd taken a day off work and we just got this building. I was in the office, heard the door knock, went down. This guy who doesn't, who never came to our church at the door, he said, I was driving past here and he said, um, the Lord spoke to me and told me to come back and give you that. It was a check for 5000 And um, that guy never, ever came to our church died recently and left in his thing that I would bury him and I did his funeral. Um, on and on I could go. On and on. I'll tell you a funny one. I'll tell you a funny one. Um, when we did the building up, when we did our building up, we, we couldn't afford a new ceiling and we had all these old ceiling tiles. So we'd, everything was all new and with these old ceiling tiles and the, the, everybody would come in and say, oh, Phil, it's a shame. He didn't put new ceiling tiles. I said, ceiling tiles, it was five grand to put a ceiling in. The local undertaker, who happens to be a friend of mine, came in and he looked at the building and he, he said, oh, Phil, why didn't you just put a new ceiling in? I said, Jim, five grand. He just took a checkbook out of his pocket and um, wrote us a check for five grand. Now, that's not the funny part. The funny part is Al's dad, Alan, my brother Alan, that night, I'm telling him, I rang him and I said, you're never going to believe this. He said, I said, Jim, give us five grand to put a new ceiling in. He said, I had a businessman in the day and he gave us five grand as well. <laughs> so I had to ring Jim and let us keep the money to do something else. All I'm saying is, whenever you, you, you can't outgive God, you can't outgive him. You can't outsource him. You've got to pass this on. And as we begin to pass it on, something begins to happen. Something, faith begins to develop in your midst. And you've seen it. You've seen it here in Portadown. You've seen it time and time again. Sure, only a couple of months ago, the water was running out of the roof here. And, and like, you survived. You survived. The church stayed intact. Nobody Fell out with, nobody fell out with, no, good. Um, that's good, just checking. Um, and so it's really important, it's really important. I want to jump on a wee bit because I know time is of the essence here. Um, I want to talk to you about this, all right? Um, a revolution is defined as a sweeping, dramatic change. I think we're living in that moment. I think that, I think I have never lived with as much expectancy in my spirit as I have right now. I find it difficult to get to sleep. I, I, and not in a bad way. I just, I'm just expecting all the time. I'm just feeling God's on the move. You've got to read Luke 21. Read it when you go home. Read about earthquakes in various places. There's a all, all of the signs, all, and what's wrong is everybody's so busy looking at the atrocities, and the atrocities are awful, we're missing the signs. Jesus actually said, when these things begin to happen, look up, your redemption draws near. This, Jesus is coming soon, and I think there is something moving. There is a sweeping, dramatic change about to hit our land. We've saw little outbreaks of it in, in the States with the Asprey revival and now all the, the students and, and all of this that's happening around the world. And it's just pretty incredible. God is moving. There's thinner. There's something stirring. And I think God's trying to get us to understand that the in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came in fire, 
uh, like fire and like wind, something unique happened with that. And so I think what we've got to do is we've got to, we've got to, we've got to dethrone ourselves and enthrone Jesus. I think what happened in the world today, and I think the church by and large has been caught sleeping a little bit. And the problem is when people get saved, what do we do? When we get saved, we put Jesus on the throne of our lives. But then after a little while, we sort of bump them off and we take it back. We've all done this. And we take it back and we, we're in control of our own lives. And then basically what we do, basically what we do is something happens. We hear there's job cuts coming. We pull Jesus back onto the throne. We jump up, we pull Jesus back onto the throne. And we say, oh, Jesus, I need you to work. I, I need this job. We can't, I can't lose this money. Oh, all right, I'm not on the list of payoffs. So good. And we, we bump Jesus off the throne again and we take our seat back. And that's the way, as Christians, we live our lives. And you can't do that. You've got to dethrone yourself, and you've got to enthrone Jesus. There is a throne in every heart, and either self is on it or Jesus is on it. Imagine if you, imagine if you were to buy a house, and they give you the keys of the front door and five or six of the doors, but there's two or three of them they don't give you the keys of. Like, you wouldn't buy a house like that. You'd be saying, either give me all the keys or keep your house. But yet that's what we do. That's what we do with Jesus. We, we keep our own, little, our own little doors, our own little systems, and we think, well, we'll keep this. Don't have to give. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And so he's demanding our lives. And we've got this system at us. We've got this. Um, it's working. Here we go. We've got this, this, tr this evil trinity, the world the world with the recognizing the worldly systems which are resisting the purposes of God in the world. We've got our flesh, our base, self-centered nature. Everybody, um, we, we, we're going to a training in, in spiritual warfare. And I love what the guy said, John Thompson. He said, you know, if you, if you cast the demon out, you're still left with yourself. We've still got the flesh and our flesh is an enemy, self-centered, rule our own hearts. And then we've got the devil who wants to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I'll finish with this, all right? I drew this on a flip chart um, in, in Lurgan, and Warwick was disgusted. And so he, he, he did this here for me. And basically, it's a stronghold. And in all of our lives, we get strongholds. And strongholds is basically just a house made with thoughts. So you've got your thought pattern, which is below the, the foundation, which nobody really sees. The person beside you has no idea what's going on in your thought life. And out of that, we build a value system, even though it's wrong. So if the thought pattern is, I'm not worth anything, then we actually start to value the fact that we're not worth anything. And our lifestyle, our actions begin to live that out. We begin to live that way. And the enemy moves right in, you'll see here, and he just puts a roof on that. And he, he, he gets you into that loop of thinking where you're just no good, you're not worth anything, and down and down it goes. And what I believe you can do, I believe you can actually build a good stronghold, all right? Uh, if you just change your thought pattern. And the only way to do that is not by trying to rip the roof off it, because if we try to, if we try to do it that way, it never really works. What we've got to do is we've got to change the way we think. Modern um, sort of counseling thought is CBT, which is a great thing, 
all right? But God thought of it first, all right? Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the way you think. And you begin to think differently. And as you begin to think differently, your value systems change, your lifestyle should change, and the Holy Spirit comes. Beautiful, isn't it? And we actually build a good, strong home. Years ago, do this, I'll say this, and then I pray. Years ago, I, I put together a little list after Jill died, and I, I couldn't comprehend facts with the truth. That was my big problem. The fact was brokenness and hurt and grief and loss and sorrow and hopelessness. But the truth of the word um, didn't really go together with that. And so I decided that I'd put together a list and I, 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 when I would understand the facts, I would trust the truth. So when the fact may be, be saying I'm not able the truth is, I am able because I can do all things through Christ who loves me, all right? And so the fact is that things are really tough at the moment, maybe for you, sin and temptation and seek to demolish you, and, um, and you're not sure how to keep going, but the truth is, greater is he that is in the world, or greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The fact is, I'm not sure I can do this on my own, but the truth is, you can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength. The fact is, I'm tired and I don't feel like praising God. But the truth is, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. The fact is, you think the enemy is inflicting serious injury in you, but the truth is, no weapon that's formed against you can prosper. The fact is, you feel burned out and weary, but the truth is, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll rise up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. The fact is I've been crying myself to sleep at night, but the truth is weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The fact is coronavirus is sweeping across the globe, creating havoc and dismay. The truth is the earth is the Lord's and the fullness are off, the world and they that dwell therein. And the fact is that the world's economies and systems are crumbling before our very eyes, but the truth is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's pray. When Daniel was a smaller, he's 14 now, but when he was smaller on bin day, the night before when I was putting the bins out, he would say, Dad, can I help you to put the bins out? And you thought, oh, this is going to take a while. And uh, basically what I would do, I would go out and I would take the bin and I would lower the bin down and he would stand in between my arms and he would put his hands in the bin and we would wheel the bin to the gate. He thought he was wheeling the bin, but he wasn't really wheeling the bin. He thought he was carrying the bin, but he wasn't really carrying the bin because around him were stronger arms. There's a little verse in Deuteronomy 33, 27 that says, underneath you, and one of the versions says, and all around you are the everlasting arms. If you're carrying a weight in here this morning, there's stronger arms. 
You think you're carrying the bin, but you're not really carrying the bin. There's someone greater. And maybe you need to give yourself into the arms of another today. Maybe you need to rest on the finished work of Jesus Christ, the finished work. Nothing needs to be added. Nothing needs to be taken away. So God, I pray right now that you would come, that you would minister by your grace and by your power, that you would touch every heart and every life in this room.